Hi, this is Pastor Brittany Isaac from Urban Village Church, Chicago. We are a church that is bold, inclusive, and relevant. I know that many of you out there are hungry for a gospel message of healing and wholeness, a message that leads to a life transformed by Christ. I hope that this podcast does just that. And if it does, would you please consider making a financial gift that will support this gospel-inclusive ministry? You could do that by going to urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks so much and have a blessed day. Today's scripture reading is from uh, Ruth 1 verse uh, 15 to 21. So she said, see your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not press me to leave you or to turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. There I will I be buried. May the Lord do this, and so to me, and more as well, if even death parts me from you. When Naomi saw this, saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they came to Bethlehem, the old town was because of them and women said this is Naomi she said to them call me no longer Naomi call me Mara for the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me I went away full but the Lord has brought me back empty why call me Naomi when the Lord has dealt harshly with me and Almighty has brought calamity upon me word of God for the people of God thanks Joffrey oh hey Good to see you again. Um, will you pray with me? Beloved God, it sometimes feels overwhelming, this ache of loneliness. But God, we are not alone. You, God, have come to be with us in the form of a tiny baby, in the form of a Messiah we may follow, in the form of community that shows up with meals and text messages and champagne and all of the things. God, may we continue to be vulnerable with one another, sharing of ourselves, but also pressing and fighting for one another, that loneliness may not take over, but that we will be always reminded that you are with us because we have each other. In the name of our brother and friend, we pray. Jesus, amen. So, like I said, my name is Erin James Brown. My pronouns are she, her, and hers, and I'm currently serving as the interim site pastor at Urban Village Church Edgewater. And I'm going to try real hard not to move. Our story this morning begins with a great tragedy, a heartache. We didn't read it this morning, but Naomi's husband dies, leaving her a widow. And then shortly, just two verses later, her children die, leaving her relationless, without any blood relatives 
and, no, and people with whom she may find shelter. And so she turns in her misfortune and this unfairness to her daughters-in-law and asks them to depart because they are supposed to. She says, turn back my daughters. Why will you go with me? Do I still have sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? So Naomi pleads with her daughters-in-law and she offers this like sad, cruel joke about the cobwebs forming in her womb that she is no longer able to provide life protection for her daughters-in-law. Because in ancient Near Eastern culture, women were often valued for what their bodies could do or produce. So a lot of women, and this kind of goes throughout all of human history, that a lot of women were seen as valuable if they were able to give forth children. And so we find, I'm going to switch to this mic if that's okay. And so we find that uh, in the text, the story of Ruth comes specific time in the people's history, that the people were being guarded and guided by a judge. The judge would tell the people how it was that they could follow God best. And also the people were really rambunctious and rebellious and decided to go their own way, to not follow the God who had led them through into the promised land. And in the midst of all of these stories of Judges and following God and not following God, we find the story of two women clinging together. And so with nothing more to offer her daughters-in-law or the rest of creation, she thought, Naomi leaves herself to despair and desolation. One of her daughters-in-law, Orpah, the smarter one, noticed the writing on the wall. She noticed the practicality of Naomi's argument there was no more prosperity or hope to be found in this relationship with a childless old widow. So regretfully, because she cared for Naomi, she turns and goes back to the land where she came from, to her family of origin. But the other daughter-in-law, she's not so bright. Ruth can't see the writing on the wall that Naomi will no longer be able to provide for her that Naomi will no longer be able to provide her with a safe place to rest her head or a way to find food for the next day. And she will be exposed to the harsh realities of the world. And so Naomi, Ruth, this like not brightest crayon in the box kind of girl, doesn't understand that if she would just wipe the tears from her eyes and maybe fix her hair and watch a few beauty tutorials on YouTube, she could probably find another person to help satisfy her life. Instead, Ruth experiences something different in her relationship to Naomi. Rather than preparing herself for a life of comfort and going back to her home to find a new man, she decides that she would rather invest in the joy and the insecurity of this cherished relationship. So Ruth agrees, even, I would argue, pleads for companionship. Ruth desires, despite the difficulty, to journey with Naomi. And she says, kind of commanding, where you go, I will go. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Ruth sees this person mourning, maybe even without a friend. And yet, Ruth recognizes the signs of 
depression and grief exhibited by her mother-in-law, Naomi. And Naomi, racked with her grief, does the thing that most often people with depression or mental illness do and pushes the people around her away. Naomi tries to isolate herself and force herself into loneliness as she begins to process all of the loss she has experienced. And rather, rather than respecting Naomi's wishes, Ruth sees a woman hurting, knows that what she's saying is not completely rational, that being without relationship, Ruth will probably, or Naomi, excuse me, will probably die of starvation. And so Ruth decides to do the hard, unwanted, unrequested thing and stay in relationship, fight for friendship. Loneliness is actually this chronic heartache It tugs at our hearts, and sometimes it makes your body feel so heavy and drags you closer to the earth. And I've said this several times over the last few weeks, but I'm going to say it again. There are lots of systemic things that try and keep us apart, that try and make us more lonely, that try and encourage us to not invest in deep friendships, whether it's being worked or overworked just in order to survive, whether it's being tired from the work and overwork. Whether it's consumeristic culture that's trying to force us into watching more Netflix because it's so dang good, but also we don't get out of our apartment. Or it's our phones and the screens that have been so crafted so craftily that the colors on the screen make us addicted to them keeping our heads bent deeply, not looking up and looking around, getting involved with one another. The systemic things that prevent us from going in deep relationship are real. But there are also real consequences for this deep longing and heartache of loneliness that we feel. Did you know that people who suffer from loneliness have a higher risk of heart disease and stroke? That loneliness can be shown to influence our immune systems, you are more likely to catch the flu this fall, not because you're a teacher and work with snotty-nosed kids, but because you might be lonely. Also, you might be a teacher and work with snotty-nosed kids and you should sanitize your hands, but loneliness can also be a factor. Even, it has been shown in studies that people do not recover as quickly or successfully from breast cancer if they are lonely. Loneliness has a death toll. It prevents us from reaching out, getting the help we need, and the help others can offer us. And so many people who are lonely continue to suffer in silence and admit that they don't like making connections, maybe because they haven't met anyone yet, maybe because they're simply awkward or socially awkward or feel awkward in situations or anxious but that means that the ache just then continues to persist. So rather than doing the thing that is good for her or that she thinks is good for her, Naomi leans into this loneliness. Even though she knows that she needs now, she knows that now without family to provide for her and the society that doesn't value widowhood, She pushes the last people she knows out of her life 
and she resigns herself to this profound ache of loneliness and abandon. And she does this significant thing that lots of people in the Bible do or that God does for lots of people at a significant time in their life. She changes her name. She doesn't allow God to change her name, but in her deep despair and loneliness, she decides to change her name from Naomi to Mara, meaning bitterness, because the loneliness is bitter. And so Ruth the other woman in our story, this young, maybe even sexy, vibrant woman who could get another partner if she worked a little harder, decides to not do that because she sees her friends suffering. She hears the command that Naomi says, leave me, turn back, and confronted with her friend's anger and her friend's tears and this rejection, Ruth still decides to be brave and to bravely fight for friendship. Whether she has won it or not, for better or for worse, Ruth stands firmly in friendship. In fact, she fights back and fights fights to maintain this relationship with a woman who offered her companionship. When she came to this new land, leaving behind everything she knew, she was sequestered and probably her husband had other things on his mind. She found friendship among these other women. And so now it is her turn to give back to this woman who has given so much to her. And so Ruth recognizes Naomi's suffering because she knew what it was like to suffer. What it means to lose all that you knew and all that you cared about. Ruth's compassion led her to fiercely defend her friend from the terror of living in isolation. And I really love this reading of Ruth and how it's kind of hard to know what she might be saying because you could hear her maybe pleading urgently with her friend saying, no, 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 where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. But also you could read Ruth being a little snippy and snide, kind of throwing it over her shoulder and saying, girl, You know where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people because your people have been my people for a long time. Get over yourself, girl. Ruth is in such deep relationship with her mother-in-law that no matter how we read what she says, we can tell that she is fighting in maybe snide comments or fun or deep pleading to make this relationship work, make it last. She recognizes that they have this shared brokenness with one another, but they also have the power in community to restore each other and offer healing. Ruth hears her own fears and insecurities in Naomi's words, and she believes and has seen the kindness of Naomi before, felt the love of her friendship from the beginning. And Ruth trusts that despite what Naomi says now, she will be accepted. She is unconcerned with this unknowable future because she knows the future will be infinitely better with a friend by her side. So friendship is something worth working for, worth fighting for, worth taking a giant risk. Ruth doesn't know if Naomi will cast her aside again, and it doesn't really matter because Ruth sees relationship and taking a risk worth risking death. I have a friend. Uh, 
you've probably noticed this about me, but I'm kind of awkward in and of it myself. <laughs> I saw uh, Tony nodding in the back. <laughs> I moved to this city four years ago, leaving behind everything I knew in Texas, coming to this new job, working with you, you wily, wonderful bunch. And I was trying to meet some other uh, female pastors in the neighborhoods. And someone told me to have coffee with this one person, to have lunch, actually. And so I set up lunch with this person. I went and found my way on the CTA, which is not as intuitive as you think it is when you first arrive in the city. I show up for lunch at this tiny little restaurant she suggested, and we sit down to eat, kind of feeling a little awkward, doing that kind of small talk type thing. And then all of a sudden it clicked. She was as deeply passionate about God as I was and as deeply committed to working towards justice. And she also felt a little misunderstood because she talked really fast and leaned forward a little bit too much. And I knew, I saw in her something I wanted to be, someone I wanted to be around. And so as we slurped our ramen and finished up our soup, I then leaned across the table and I said, uh, you know, I have these tickets to see roller derby. Do you want to go? I don't know if you've ever been to roller derby, but uh, it's kind of this wonderful, weird place to go, but it's also kind of super awkward, especially if you know nothing about roller derby, which I don't know how many of you know much about roller derby, but a lot of us know nothing about roller derby. It's not easy to pick up, especially if you have a very short attention span and if you hate sports. And so this wonderful, mesmerizing person pulled out her phone, scrolled through a calendar and goes, oh, I don't have anything that day. And all of a sudden, elated, I realized I had a new friend. We then, on that Saturday, met on the CTA, taking us all the way to UIC, which is really hard to find if you're new to the city. We show up and we grab a beer together and then we go and watch roller derby. But you know me, I have very short attention span and I know nothing about sports. And so we just talked the whole time and giggled and texted other people to say, look how much fun we're having. And then afterwards, we went out for a birthday and I don't even eat meat, but I didn't want to tell her because I wanted to seem cool. And we were out so late that when we got to the train that night, I didn't know where I was going because have I said, the CTA is not easy to figure out. And I got on the wrong train going the wrong way, all the way out to the middle of nowhere when I realized I then had to turn around and go all the way back to Hyde Park. I got home at three in the morning and I texted her and I said, I didn't tell you this because I really like, I didn't say, I said, I didn't tell you this, but I have to preach tomorrow. <laughs> I didn't want to leave because I was having so much fun and she was so cool. And so the next morning I did what I normally do on Sunday mornings. I got up at like six after I'd only slept for three hours and I was working on my sermon and I was trying to bop out to some pop music to get myself all hyped and my phone buzzed. And it was this new woman saying, hey, I hope it goes well. I'm gonna go back to sleep. And then my heart soared, and I quickly texted back, oh my gosh, will you be my best friend? And there was nothing. 
for several hours. And so I went and I gave my sermon and I was really tired. And I was also just so nervous because I put my heart out on the line and I didn't know if I was going to be like received well. And I had asked somebody the thing you're not supposed to ask, which is, will you be my best friend? I'm 32. Not a five-year-old on a playground. And after church, feeling drained, I come back to my phone, and there's a message, and it says, oh my gosh, yes. Being a friend means you have these deep highs and kind of amazing lows, like a new relationship, almost like a romantic relationship where you're just so excited and want to be so invested and want to be so liked, but you also hope so much that this other person will like you. Because we all know that loneliness feels so terrible. And when you see someone's brokenness and humanity and deep joy, you want to feel so deeply connected. And so friendship is worth fighting for. It's worth doing the really awkward, unnerving thing for. This is what Ruth does. She sees Naomi's brokenness, and she says, you know what? I've been there too. You're not going to trick me. You're not going to fool me. We're going to do this together. Despite rejection, she fights for friendship. This is what God does for us. Despite humanity's rejection of God's goodness, God says, no, I will love you. I will keep working with you. I will keep sending babies for you to keep working on and raising and help raise. I will come to you as a baby, prepared to show you what love is really like, what friendship, deep friendship is really like. And so friends, I invite you this week. Maybe you have a friend. Maybe, maybe not a friend, quote unquote, but someone you were thinking of when I was describing that feeling of being like, oh, I really like this person and I hope they like me too. Maybe you have someone in mind and the task this week is just to send that text message and say, oh, hey, you want to get ramen? You want to go to a roller derby? <laughs> P.S. Don't do that. P.S. Do do that. The task is to put yourself out there. Take the risk. It's worth fighting for. And if you feel rejected at the end, you send that text message and ask someone to be your best friend and you don't hear a reply, move on and find somebody else because ain't, ain't nobody got time for that. <laughs> and maybe the task is you have a friend you haven't talked to in a long time. But you know every time you're with that person, you feel more alive and more who you always have been, this deeply spunky, weird, wonderful person. But you haven't talked to him in a while, and it's awkward. And so the task this week is just to text and say, oh, hey, I'm still here. Can we talk? Because friendship is worth fighting for, worth working for worth reaching out even after a really long time and you feel awkward about it. And maybe, maybe you have a friend that you have a broken relationship with. You left and it wasn't great. 
You got into a fight about maybe even who knows what by this point. Maybe the task is to call and say you're sorry. To call and say, I can't even remember what it was about. Or, I do remember exactly what it was about, and you're still wrong, but I love you. (laughs) And the task is to reach out, offer forgiveness, even when forgiveness isn't worth it. Because friendship is worth fighting for. This is the Jesus thing we do, being in deep, committed relationship to one another. This is what Jesus did with his friends, with us. Will you pray with me? Oh, God, you are so good because you show up in smiling babies, in smiling strangers. You show up in the arms of a friend who offers a tissue who offers a meal, who offers an apology. God, give us the courage this week to go out and to risk. Give us the courage to be brave, to reach out and establish those strong friendships, re-establish those strong friendships, because you, God, have been such a strong friend to us. Let us not be led with fear but with hope that you will go with us. So we pray in the name of our brother and friend, Jesus. Amen.